In 2016, 700,000 IRS accounts were hacked. A year later, Target was hacked, compromising 40 million credit and debit card accounts. That same year, Equifax was hacked, compromising 145 million social security accounts. Since 2013, there have been almost 4 million records stolen and breached every day. That's 150,000 per hour, 2,600 per minute, and 44 every second of every day. A recent study showed that only 38% of global organizations claim they are ready to handle a cyber attack. The total cost for cybercrime committed globally added up is over a hundred billion dollars. And don't think that all that money comes from hackers targeting corporations, banks, or wealthy celebrities. Individual users like you and me are also the targets. As long as we're connected to the internet, we can become victims of cyber attacks. Ginny Rometty, IBM's chairwoman, president, and CEO, says cybercrime is the greatest threat to every company in the world. Welcome to Onward, the podcast where we explore social innovations and innovators who are working hard to solve some of our society's biggest problems. On today's show, we're going to explore data security, election interference, identity theft, cybersecurity, who owns your online data, data breach after data breach, and trust breach after trust breach. I think we've had enough. It's been said that in the 21st century, data is the new oil. But as I hope to highlight in my intro, our data infrastructure is porous and continues to be compromised to the detriment of consumers, corporations, and government agencies. Today's guest is working on flipping the script on personal data security. David Siegel is a web pioneer, author, blockchain expert, and all-around whiz. Thank you so much for being with me today. Daniel, it is great to see you after, what, it's been a year or so since, since Poprad, Slovakia. And who would have thought the next time we met was going to be in Vilnius, Lithuania? Oh, and wait for next year. It'll be somewhere on Mars, in a, somewhere in an exotic location. We're looking forward to it. Um, so let's jump right in. <clears throat> My listeners are curious about the current problem that you're trying to solve. At Pillar. At Pillar, yes. Well, what problem are we not trying to solve? Let's narrow it down. Uh, Number one, we want to have an open source wallet that is easy to use. So there are a lot of wallets. There's something like we're getting closer to 20 million cryptocurrency wallets now in the world, and they're hard, and people make mistakes all the time. 20 million individual different crypto products. No, no, wallets like 20 million jacks. You know, there's there's five, three million jacks. Uh, Accounts, I don't know. Okay, well, people owning these software. Yeah, accounts. I mean, my Ether wallet is a wallet. There's maybe 20 million wallets out there for, for Bitcoin, for, for Ethereum, and so forth. And uh, they're hard to use. And when you move money, you can lose it. And you can get hacked and fished. And, and it's dangerous. And it's not for consumers. So we're, let's say there's 20 million. Well, we're building the wallet for the next 200 million. The people who are scared, rightly so, 
by the experience of a Jack's wallet or a MyEther wallet. This is, this is not for consumers. They're not user friendly. It's, it's tough. I'd it rather, it is tough. You can lose money. You can, it is, the phishing sites look exactly like the real site and they, you know, they'll be happy for you to put your private keys in there and then boom, you and, lose, so. And so spell out how the, the pillar wallet is going to benefit society. So ease of use is a big deal because the next 200 million wallets are gonna to have to be much easier to use. And the next 2 million wallets out of the, after that are gonna to have to be like as easy as Tinder to use. I mean, it's gonna to have to just get brutally easy, easier and easier. So we're kind of doing the next generation and we hope that, that, a, that a couple hundred million people will take our wallet because you don't cut and paste the addresses anymore you don't i mean if you don't know this stuff then you don't know what i'm saving you from it'll just kind of look like a normal thing you'll you'll connect to me i'll connect to daniel daniel will connect to david and on the wallet i'll just send you like say half an ether 0.5 ether to daniel and it will tell us both what's going on at the time so we don't need the blockchain explorers and the wackiness of trying to chase things down for example if it doesn't go through it'll just tell you whoops it didn't go through, you didn't give enough gas, or it didn't go through too much congestion or whatever. Mm. You know why, and then you can try again. And even it's even confusing enough for people if they try a transaction and it doesn't go through, they lose money on that because they lose their gas. They don't realize. Well, yeah, you do. So we'll explain that to people, how this world works, and just make it super easy so they can't make mistakes. Good. I'm looking forward to, to my brother, to my grandma being able exactly. to Exactly. It's the grandma system. wallet eventually. Eventually... You know, you have to write down your 12 words, your private keys to the wallet, your password. Eventually, we'll make it so you don't even need to do that. You'll, so you'll have a more, much safer experience. Before we go too, down, too far down the, uh, the tech rabbit hole, mm. uh, my audience might not be no, we don't want to go. sophisticated. Yeah, so, uh, sure. High level, what is the blockchain? Why are people so excited <laughs> about it? There's two things. There's blockchain and there's cryptocurrencies. And then there's tokens. So there's three things. So the blockchain is a shared ledger. And the shared ledger is an amazing invention because we don't have to have separate ledgers and reconcile them. It lets us, it lets us uh, delegate the trust to software rather than to trusted intermediaries like institutions. You sell money, you use, say, uh, Western Union or PayPal. Well, there's a company in the middle there and they make a lot, they're very profitable. We could use the blockchain to send that money and then we're just trusting open source software and it does it. It's trustable. It, it makes sure that nobody gets, you know, I send you money and you don't receive it. That doesn't happen. It's, mm -hmm. So those kinds of transactions are done with a shared ledger. And that's what's very powerful. We could put our, our medical records, our, um, your, your work history, your, your grades from school, your school records, uh, the ownership of your home, the ownership of your car, land, uh, insurance contracts all that stuff you have in your file drawer of all these right. receipts you have in your you with folders that are old and you've never read them anymore and there's some contract in there that's got some wording that you don't know and do, you know is my is my insurance contract out of date all that can go into the blockchain and then it can just remind you and it can even pay automatically all this stuff can be automated with software using blockchain and with the wallet solution that you're proposing uh, users will be able to own that data. I won't have to go to my school to get my transcripts or my doctor. You'll own your own data. Doctors. We're working, for example, on prescriptions. You'll get your prescription. Your doctor will give you your prescription and you'll get it in your wallet. 
You'll see it and then you'll say, well, I wonder who will give me the best price. So you say, you put it out to bid and all the different pharmacies in your area or even in Montana will bid on your prescription. And if you're willing to wait a week and get the lowest price, then you can do mail order. But if you need it right now, you wanna know who's got it in stock, that'll show up and you'll, or the, whoever's closest, whoever locally has the best price, you can decide. The power goes to you now rather than the doctor puts you on the spot and says, quick, give me the name of a pharmacy right away. You go, uh, 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 Rite Aid, I don't know. I have no idea which where the best price is. So we're democratizing by giving you the power to manage that data. And uh, on that point, recently in May, the EU passed the GDPR, the Global Data Protection Regulation. Crazy. Yes. Uh, in your opinion, is this a step in the right direction for data management? Wrong it's direction? about 12 steps in the right direction. We only needed about one of those steps. So it's just overkill. It's obviously an important problem. It's also important to address it. It's also important not necessarily to regulate everything and force people to do things, but it's important to put in laws that make it expensive to do the wrong thing, right? So they kind of overstepped by saying, you must do this, we're forcing you to behave this way, this, 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 and this with tremendous fines for even tiny violations, which I think is way too heavy. So I think they overshot by about 90%, unfortunately. And it's really gonna cost. It's gonna cost in innovation. You know, the, the, the entrepreneurs go to the venture capitalist and the capitalist says, well, how much do you need? Well, we need a million bucks. And they say, well, do you have a compliance officer? No. Well, do you have a whole compliance framework? No. Well, how are you gonna treat people's data? Well, okay, so you need like another million bucks just to get off just to get off the ground. Right. And they go, well, okay, I guess then we need two million. And the venture says, capitalist says, forget it. I'm not giving you two million. <laughs> right, right. What, what, half of money? Yeah, half the money for compliance? It doesn't work. Yeah. So it's going to break a lot of innovation and it's going to enforce the existing incumbents who have traction and brand and stickiness and doesn't give us a chance to try new things. So it's, it's really, really heavy handed and unfortunate. And I know you're in talks with multiple regulators. Do you see that uh, other regulatory agencies and bodies from different countries are following the GDPR as the standard? No, 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 it's very different. And first of all, the other thing about GDPR is, GDPR is so heavy handed that I don't believe any EU government will be fully compliant with its own law. I'm quite sure that there's not a single EU government that can be 100% compliant with those 800 pages of law. Impossible. Yeah, and then, you know what? They're not going to get any fines. So other regulators, for example, we've got uh, people who regulate money, banking, and things like securities. These are all different, and the and tax. And and the one thing that's common to all of them is they have no clue what's going on, and they almost admit it. There are a couple of bright people in some of these agencies, but most of the people. And I'm not saying they're not bright. Actually, I'm just saying there are a couple of forward-leaning, interested active they've actually bought a few cryptocurrencies they're not afraid of it they don't think it's about drugs they're not full of misconceptions they're willing to look into it but they don't know what to do they don't know what framework is right in some cases in securities this is kind of a new asset class and they have no idea they just want it to fit into comfortable buckets that they already know that's not working by the way regulation mostly isn't working anyway i don't think there's much evidence that most regulation actually works today without blockchain it seems like a lot of the uh, framework is based on a punitive model. Do you see any, or the stick? To yeah, that's the yeah, incentive. more or less, yeah. Are there any carrots that you see that would be more attractive to developing in this environment? 
Or how uh, uh, my, I see it a little differently, Daniel. I, I'm I w I'm asking regulators and governments to look hard at the laws they have on the books because if we were starting now from scratch, we wouldn't have almost any of it. It would be it would be a completely different world because we've got all this legacy legislation that doesn't apply to today's world at all. I mean, in in, in uh, securities regulation, it's all about protecting the consumers. But consumers aren't in the markets, really. Consumers all go through through mutual funds and and brokers and all these guys who, who gang up the orders. And it's just a completely different thing. It's really no longer a retail market. So the, the laws and regulations are all for bygone eras that don't apply to today. So let's let's kind of rethink what we should be doing. An example would be they regulate the products. They regulate financial products, whether it's a hedge fund, a, a stock of a company, private stock, public stock. They regulate, they, they make a determination for each of these things and stick it in a bucket and say, okay, you've got to follow these rules because of that's what it is. But the truth is that any particular instrument could be different things to different people. And they may not fall into those buckets exactly. And in fact, may start in one bucket, but may change over time to something else. And so why are we even regulating the products themselves? This is getting an old notion from about 1930 after the Great Depression when they wanted to save people from shysters who were stealing their money, selling phony things. But maybe we shouldn't even regulate products. Maybe, maybe we should say, all right, invest in what you want. Let us put a bit of our money into education to help people make good decisions and understand risk and reward. Now, if we educated consumers, we'd have more free-flowing markets. We'd have more liquidity. We'd have better functioning markets and more innovation instead of preserving the domains of the old established companies and giving them the tools to stay in power. And that's what regulation is right now. Okay. So, so let's jump back to Pillar. Um, yeah. Because I know your time is limited. So um, Pillar, it seems like it's off to a great start. In five years from now, if you guys are still kicking butt, what... Well, well it's okay. Let's talk about the personal data locker okay. because we did talk about GDPR and about the wallet, but the idea of the wallet is that it eventually becomes your personal data locker, and that's where you'd store your prescriptions, all of your information, all that stuff, and then you'd use it day to day. Now, the one thing there's some confusion on out there is that people are writing about and they're launching startups to help you monetize your own data. What does that mean? It means that right now, Facebook monetizes. You know, face, you're worth about 90 bucks to Facebook right now. How is that? Per year. Yeah, per year. The average active user in the United States is worth roughly 90 bucks to, to Facebook. How is that? It's a free service. Well, because they're showing you ads all the time. They're extremely targeted and the advertisers are happy to pay Facebook to target you with those ads. Why? Because it works, because then you buy the stuff. I mean, if all the advertisers were paying Facebook and it didn't work and they weren't getting more than $90 worth of value from you spending your money on their clicking and buying their products, they wouldn't pay Facebook. So you're talking about spending, let's say, let's call it $200 a year per person clicking ads, following them and ending up purchasing. Or if not purchasing, seeing over and over and over the brand, the Bonobos uh -huh. uh, pants right. and the, the whatever workout Social clothes and the golf and vacation. You see it enough times there that then some other time you're triggered and you actually make or you go to the store, or you go to the website. So it doesn't have to be direct response. Right. But they get their money out of it from you, you spending your money. So, hey, why not you monetize your own data? Why don't you sell that data to advertisers for 90 bucks? 
you get 90 bucks? Well, the answer is obvious because they're not going to make that trade unless they get 150 bucks from you. Right. Obviously. Right. So don't think about monetizing your own data. They're not going to give you free money to give them your data. Your data is very valuable to them because they know how to trick you into buying their stuff. If they don't, they won't pay you 90 bucks. The only way you get 90 bucks is if you pay them 150. How is that for a deal? You want to scale that up? <laughs> Maybe not. So Google is somewhere on the order of 50, 60 bucks a person. Uh, Twitter is I think 40, 50 bucks a person. All these guys are making money off of you by selling your data to advertisers. Don't do it. Don't give them your data and don't sell them your data. Use your own data to make your own decisions about what you want without being a victim of advertising. And this is what the personal data locker is. And this provide. is what we're trying to do. So yeah. we're trying to knock out, let's say, 20% of all advertising revenue, which would be about $30 billion, $40 billion or $30 billion or so, and give it to you. Put it in your pocket by letting you t make your own choices and not just clicking on ads. And th this is such a, an audacious vision. What, what are some of the barriers to actually uh, implementing this? <laughs> yeah, it's not easy. I mean, people want to know about security. So we kind of have security worked out because we can use the blockchain and that's right. ridiculously secure. And we use strong encryption, which for the next 10 years is ridiculously secure until we have quantum computing that can break that. That's, that's 10 to 20 years out in the future. So security is all right. Um, you know, complexity is a big barrier, right? We have yeah. to make it easy. And then building an ecosystem. You know, we have good ideas. We'll start to build some software that will let you buy and sell things in the wallet. Pretty soon, our first example will be you'll be able to buy, buy a Pillar t-shirt in the wallet. No other wallet you can buy a t-shirt. So you'll start to be able to buy, let's say, maybe a rental car or buy a, a bicycle or a washing machine or a, or a Frisbee or a, a dog food or whatever you want. Mm -hmm. That will more and more come into, now you need your profile more complete. Now you've got your means of payment. It could be you want to pay in pillar tokens. It could be you want to pay in dollars. We're working on dollar tokens. That's another challenge for us because dollar tokens may need regulation to give you dollars because we want to price the t-shirts and the products in dollars, probably not in Bitcoin or pillar tokens, right? Yeah. So to have dollars on the platform, that's a big, we've got a big project to do that. Um, we want to then be able to offer you, for example, a rental car. Well, there's going to be a lot of insurance and regs and how do we manage the rental car and the liabilities and all that stuff. So you can do it already. You can rent a car in an app. We want to give, and, and the, insur and the um, prescription thing is a good idea. Step by step yeah. by step, we'll conquer all these small problems, get okay. the software built and build these markets. When you rent a car, again, the idea is you say, I'm looking for a rental car. I'm going to land in LAX. I want to go to Disneyland right so i need a car for that day at that time show me the bids right show it's like kayak show me who's all the competing bids for that particular uh, request mm -hmm. and then these are the offers and then you can take the offers that you want so kind of like kayak does with flights we want to do that for everything okay. and that's there's like one barrier at a time you know to get all these things put in we hope we'll get a big ecosystem of developers and entrepreneurs building on that it seems just like being here the last few days, there's a lot of excitement from a lot of different players in different industries. We've got uh, Lufthansa here. Yeah, it's a pretty exciting conference. Yeah. Right, we've got a lot of, we're building momentum. We have to ship a wallet, which I think we're doing today. 
uh, a year and a day after we completed our token sale. It's a bit, I would say it's six months behind, um, but that's, you know, I think we'll be forgiven when people see the experience. Uh, we'll spend the next couple of months testing and rolling out and then getting it into people's hands. Should be in the app stores by, let's say, maybe October. We want to include an exchange. We've got a lot of things coming. Awesome. So by the end of the year, it'll be a pretty, it'll be an, uh, an early but, but stable ecosystem that people can build a lot of things on top of. So one thing that uh, attracted me to Pillar from the first time I read the gray paper to uh, <laughs> this morning is um, the nature of the beast. It's decentralized. You know, we're here at an unconference. And given my background in organization development and community, and community right, I, right, I, I'm really interested right. in, uh, given that decentralization is such a key part of your vision yeah. and the blockchain, yeah. and you're the founder of Pillar. So what, is, yeah. what does leadership look like in decentralized space and a flat organization? Well, yeah, sure. That's not easy. So, I mean, we're, we, we call ourselves the anti-Facebook in some sense. We don't have your information. We don't have your data. We don't know what you're, we're allowing messaging. We've got messaging on the platform, but we don't know what you're messaging. We don't really even know that you're messaging because our servers run your message, encrypted messages between wallets, but then we delete it. We have no idea. We're not gathering any statistics. We have no clue. Um, and we run the organization by getting people to take initiative and responsibility for things. So we've gone from a, a very flat organization where pretty much everybody just does whatever he wants to a more, uh, I, I use the word meritocracy, where if you step up and take responsibility and deliver and own something and don't complain about it or don't you know, say, well, other people are responsible for that, but just get it done, then you, you are at a higher level of responsibility. It's not, it's not a management level. It's that you get to make more of the decisions. So the decisions bubble up toward the people who have shown that they can deliver and are responsible. And then there are people kind of working their way toward that. So ultimately, there's no limit on these number of people. We call them level one, two, and three. Mm -hmm. But there's no limit to the number of ones. I mean, anybody can be a one who shows initiatives initiative yeah. responsibility yeah. do it don't complain about it get it done figure it out if you need help get help right just just get it delivered and and, and like own it mm -hmm. right then we could we'd love to have as many of those as we can and that's a kind of a level of maturity that we didn't start with right and we but now that we're and, and we're getting there that's right so it's not it's not uh we're not expecting magic and in the practical realities of it, um, we, we do find that some people are these types of people who take responsibility and we can count on them more and they get to make more of the decisions. In fact, there are some people in the company who are fine with being level three and not making the decisions. They just enjoy their work. They come, they come to work, they do it, they leave, they go do their other things in life. They don't necessarily stay, uh, you know, until 10 o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. It's fine. There's different people in, in a company. The, the, what we're trying to build, Daniel, is a resilient cu culture where when something happens or something needs to be done, people will flow to it automatically without saying, okay, you go over here and you're now responsible for this. And, you're, you know, not, not, no management, really. Just that it organically self-heals when there's something or some new thing needs to be done. People will gather around it. And I'm really curious to see how this plays out. Um, in your new keynote that you gave, the eight drivers of change in the 21st century, you talked about uh, the trend of decentralization unleashing an explosion of autonomy and individual empowerment, which True. is exciting. And it's something that I don't think we've experienced too much before. 
So it's going to be interesting to see how this unfolds once it scales. We, we had a lot of autonomy two million years ago when we were sort of relatives of chimpanzees, right? There wasn't right. there wasn't that much hierarchy. Um, of course, chimpanzee troops do have do have a certain amount of hierarchy for sure. Um, it's definitely an experiment. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention is that we um, uh, we are using a system, and I, and I, be, I believe in systems, and I, I mentioned this a lot last year in PopRad, mm -hmm. and that we're using a system for the unconference right now, for voting and for dem democratic decision making, and we're using a Kanban system now in software development, and it's working really well. It's very important to have a workflow management system that everyone can kind of be a slave to, because it's not a boss, mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not some arbitrary decisions, it's a very, methodical system and we're using Kanban now very well in product development and we're, we're working on implementing Kanban in other areas of the company too. So kind of a flat company where you take responsibility and you still use the system to make sure you don't overcommit. Because if you have a company where something needs to be done and people go over there, then they may leave something else behind right. and you, you got you know 10 people to do 15 people's worth of work, that's going to break. So this Kanban system helps us from overpromising and delivers 10 people's worth of work with 10 people. And what I really appreciate about the Kanban board is it made work visual and also kinesthetic. We were able to take a sticky from the to-do bucket and move it through the process. Now that was last year. Yes. But that wasn't Kanban. No? No, that wasn't Kanban. It's what just like the one we have today. Oh, we call it a Kanbalander. It's a calendar that is flexible. Inspired it's by. it's not a to-do list. It's a calendar. Mm -hmm. Most people saying they do Kanban are actually it's a to-do list. Kanban has a, six, a set of six key principles that you can't violate. And we're using those. You come to our office, you'll see it. You're coming. No? I, or you have to go back to the United States. Yeah, I'm going back to the So States. you come to our office, you'll see our Kanban board. It's not too different from the one at Joy Inc. Okay. And we really use that. All our 30-some-odd developers are standing next to the board talking about the stickies and moving things. And, and then you see a bunch of things in the done column. And you're going, you guys rock, man. This yeah. is, you know. But the Kanban board lets you make prioritization decisions so that if you, if you do decide to do this, you can't do that you just don't have the resources. Mm -hmm. So it really helps to have a system. And this is used a lot in the software development world and I'd encourage... Okay. And in factories. There's okay. a lot. If you just go to Google, uh, go to YouTube and top to look into like Kanban 101, Introduction to Kanban. K-A-N-B-A-N. B-A-N, that's right. Brilliant system. Yeah. Um, so as we wrap things up, I'd just like to hear what, what you're excited about, what you're inspired <laughs> by, whether it's people, projects, sure. books. Well, we are getting really great people. That's 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 exciting. There's more esprit de corps. There's more pr pride now that we're shipping. Uh, but I'm excited about tokenomics. I'm excited about using what we call skin in the game coins to change society. Um, there's an exciting book about this, uh, about what's called mechanism design, called uh, called um, radical markets that I recommend people read, and that we're going to I think start and we're going to do some consulting around this too start to help create token economies that provide virtuous behavior with skin in the game, with money. So if you want a recycling coin, for example, mm -hmm. it will cost you money to put something into the recycling stream that would be expensive to take out later, the, the wrong thing. It will cost you money to do the wrong thing. 
will reward you for doing the right thing. Yeah. And in so many cases, we have the kind of the tragedy of the commons where it doesn't cost you anything to do the spam would be a good example, fake news, mm-hmm. uh, fake, you know, rigging elections with, with fake sites and so forth. There's no penalty to getting that wrong, to doing the wrong thing. And if we can create uh, uh, skin in the game coin economics where it does cost you to be wrong, then, then those, I hope, like little gated communities will start to spread. So, so like a TripAdvisor, it doesn't cost you anything to just give crap reviews about hotels. Right. You can just spit on, you can just t- hire people to, to crap on your competitors, competitors, and there's no cost to that. But in these new systems, uh, you would, it would cost you too much money. It cost you more money than you'd make by, by not doing it. That, that's pretty exciting. So, so I'm aware uh, some of this is a little too technical for my audience. I'm curious what the, uh, the folks on the edges of blockchain that might have heard about Bitcoin, any advice to them on entering into... We're not in the swimming the pool yet? Swimming pool. Yeah. What to read, what to... Yes, I have, a bunch, I have two pieces of advice. First, you can learn everything on YouTube. That's where I learn. Uh, there's um, Andreas Antonopoulos whose work is amazing. He is a bit technical, but wow. You could just learn introduction to Bitcoin, introduction to blockchain, uh, tons of that stuff. I have a bunch of videos. You can come to the Pillar Project videos. We have a lot of that stuff. But the other thing is don't, is invest, not invest. This is not investment advice, but, but get your toe in the water. Go buy yourself, you know, a tenth of a Bitcoin. And that's like 700 bucks. And go do things with it. Buy other things with it. Buy some Ethereum. Use Bitcoin to buy Ethereum. Use Ethereum to buy tokens. Buy some pillar tokens. Sell some pillars. Sell things. Just get yourself. You can even do this with $100 or $50. It doesn't really cost any money. The point is start to learn what a wallet is. Try it. Make a mistake. Lose some money. What are you going to lose? 10, 10 bucks. Fine. It's your education here about the future. Um, if, you're, if the pillar wallet's ready, Use that, but in the meantime, you know, use other things. Try it. It's a it's a slightly dangerous ecosystem, so don't put too much money into it. But use it as, as a learning experience. Then, once you get some confidence, you know, you do test trades. You send send money to your friends. Tell your friends to get a wallet. Send you the address. Yeah, I don't. It's all complicated stuff, but you'll find the instructions yeah. on YouTube. Then, when it's easier, you'll say, "Oh, look at this! I can do this!" And then you can start to put more money in, or you can start to buy a little more. Build yourself a small portfolio. Don't buy more than you can lose, than you're willing to lose, but enough that it's in a learning experience. And that, that's a really good investment of your time. Excellent. Final plugs, words of advice before we wrap this up? Uh, things will change. We are working on equity tokens, so companies can issue their stock using blockchain tokens, and it costs a whole lot less, and we'll make stock of startups tradable for the first time in history. So there's a lot of innovation coming here. And if you're in, let's say, medical or education or whatever, go find the innovation happening in your industry because it is. And there's a lot to not only learn, but you could maybe become part of it. Thanks so much for your time, David. Really appreciate it. We'll see you next time. To learn more about social innovation and get inspired, I suggest reading some of the following. Anti-Fragile by Nassim Taleb, WTF by Tim O'Reilly, and Weapons of Math Destruction by Kathy O'Neill. A big thanks to my sponsor, Jay Lately, for providing the music for Onward.
Jay Lately is a hip-hop artist who's been pursuing his dream since the age of 16 while juggling jobs that improve the lives of youth in Oakland. If you like good music and want to support independent artists, please go check out soundcloud.com forward slash just lately. Make sure to subscribe to Onward via iTunes or Anchor FM. Wouldn't want you missing out on another inspiring conversation with an awesome social innovator. Until next time, onward and upward. <laughs>